welcome to another emergency episode of Hive Mind. I am Meg. I'm here in the studio with Eli. And on the phone, we have Lindsay Encinas. You know her as LRE in everything she's published. Lindsay, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to talk about this with you two. (laughs) We're excited to talk about (laughs) the interview of all interviews to end all the interviews. (laughs) But first, I want you to tell us what you've been watching. Well, I have, besides um, the interview, I this week have watched um, a lot of Below Deck. I (laughs) had a baby three weeks ago. And um, instead of doing a lot of contemplating and, you know, um, filling my brain with good things, I've sat on my bed nursing a baby and I've binged about four seasons of Below Deck. Incredible. (laughs) Yes, it has been a great time. I have learned all about yachties and the the high seas. I've loved every minute. And that's on Bravo, right? This is on Bravo and I've been watching um, on the Peacock app, which I have really enjoyed. It's my first foray, and I think it's great. (laughs) How do we feel, though, about every channel that's ever existed launching their own streaming Not a fan. No, it's just cable (laughs) at this point. It's so annoying. It's cable, cable, but it's like more inconvenient cable. Yeah, I have to remember a password for all of them. And like half of these apps don't work on my Fire Stick anymore, so like I can't get Peacock. We can't get Disney Plus on our Roku anymore. And I'm like, you guys get it together yeah watch we're just gonna circle back to cable and somehow cbs all access is no more oh really it got it's paramount Paramount. so now it's paramount plus but the app is terrible and it's like really hard to navigate and find stuff on it i was like i I, you know i loved my cbs all access i know you i know you did Me and all of your mothers loved our CBS All, all Access. All those Survivor seasons <laughs> yeah. that you watched so many times over. Yes. Uh, well, very happy for you, Lindsay, on your Below yeah. Deck journey. Anything else? Honestly, just Below Deck. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I keep thinking, you know what, something, you know, I'll, I'll lose interest, and I don't because it's the perfect background show. Everything is basically the same. Every episode, this is new faces, but the same plot. Um, you get a little bit of like food porn. The food look, food looks good. The people look good. There's the stakes are pretty low. Yeah, it's a perfect low hum in the background. When I had my last baby, not to make this about me, but I mean, it's my <laughs> sure. podcast, so why not? When I had my last baby, I watched every available episode of Nailed It on Netflix. Oh, it was oh, yeah. the perfect. I don't have to invest any sort of emotion or energy into this. Yeah. I can just sit with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to cause me any sort of stress. All I'm going to do is laugh. Mm-hmm. It was, it's, it's the kind of show you need postpartum, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a category of show that's like the perfect postpartum show. I've been thinking a lot about this. I did a lot of cooking shows after my other kids. Yeah, what is it? You just need something calm. <laughs> Your life is so chaotic that you just need some stability. Exactly. Uh, Eli, what have you been watching? I watched two movies this weekend. First, I watched Two Weeks Notice with Sandra Bullock. Oh, my goodness. I had never seen it. Really? Yeah, it's like one of these like rom-coms that just like never, somehow never, I never came across it. Um, this is a really bad movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, can I tell you my <laughs> two weeks notice? Yeah. 
Uh, two weeks notice came out when I was in high school and I was working concessions at Winsong, the Carmike Winsong movie theaters in Provo. Uh-huh. And so on my break, I would go in and watch movies, uh-huh. you know, like have a snack, watch a movie. And so I saw two weeks notice in 20 minute increments sporadically okay. all over the place. <laughs> and it took me years to see it all the way through. That movie is better in small chunks. You know what? I wonder <laughs> if that happened to me too, because while I was watching it, there were so many scenes that I was like, I swear I've seen this scene before, but I didn't know the plot of the movie. Yeah. So I don't know if it was just on TV so many times that I like just came across <laughs> it. In small- Maybe everybody, that's the way everyone has seen this movie. Um, it made me realize, first of all, it's, it has not aged well. It's like an entire movie of a rich, powerful man treating a woman terribly, and then she falls in love with him, and there's like no repentance for what he did. <laughs> it's like that. But it's you, Grant. It's you, Grant, so he can get away with it. But like he's bad all the way to the end. It's not like he switches halfway through and like starts to become yeah. a better, but he's bad all the way to the end. And then she's like, but I'm in love with you. And he's like, great. And then that's how it ends. And so, so there's that. But then it, this movie also reminded me and we've talked a little bit about this before but sandra bullock has a built her career off of being the gross ugly woman sure who's charming anyway and like this film is one of those examples like at the beginning she calls to order food just for herself from like the local chinese place and it's the stupidest most over-the-top thing she's like i'll have a number four and two number eights and three number nines yes it's just for me and Five number 11s and a number two. Oh, and a number four. And it's just like, okay, this is, it's like so over the top that it's like, this is not even, not even remotely funny. Yeah, this woman clearly has an eating disorder. (laughs) Something's going on. But like, this is like, she has like 10 movies like this. And like, I like, I really like Sandra Bullock because she's so charming, but I hate that she does this. Yeah, I mean, she's never going to be believable as an ugly person, even as a, you know, Grace in Mm -hmm. Miss Congeniality is like, okay, so her hair's a little messy and you want us to buy that she's frumpy? That's the most ridiculous one. Like, and then you've got like While You Were Sleeping where she does it again, but at least in that one, it's like, they're not pretending she's ugly, but she is somebody who's... She's just poor. Yeah, she's just poor. But like, (laughs) you still look at her, it's like, but if I saw that woman walk down the street, I would be like, wow, like she's outrageously beautiful, you know, and and they don't... Anyway, it just... (laughs) It pisses me off. I don't like this. I don't like that she does this. Okay, and then I watched Moxie oh, yeah. on Netflix. A film, new film uh, has Amy Poehler in it. Amy Poehler is the only person in it that I um, knew. And this is, I described it to you, Meg, as a promising young woman for teenagers. It's like a teen version of that. It's sort of similar plot. It's about like a bunch of girls in a high school who are dealing with like this guy who's misogynist and a bully and and whatever else. And they all kind of bound together and start deciding to like stand up for themselves. And I love this movie. I went into it thinking it was going to be not for Eli because I'm like kind of I've aged out of teen movies and this is kind of a teen movie. Mm-hmm. Amy Poehler is great in it. I'm never going to be mad to see Amy Poehler in a movie. It's really sweet. It's got like a great message. The writing is actually pretty good, and the performances from like the teens are actually pretty good. Julia Louise Dreyfus's son is in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. So uh, I would recommend it. Like, go into it expecting a B movie, and you'll get like a B plus or an A minus, and you'll be pleasantly surprised. Love it. Love it. And it made me think about. Um, I think either I'm getting old, 
or movies are getting better at actually casting teenagers to play teen roles. Because the kids in this movie all looked like 18-year-olds. Oh, and not like they're 30? Yeah, because I feel like in the 90s and early 2000s, I mean, think of Friday Night Lights. Like, all of those teenagers were like 30. Yeah, I told you, I just watched She's All That. Yeah. And the, like, popular girl is probably 32. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all old. But, like, I've noticed lately as I've seen, like, teenagers depicted in, like, TV shows or whatever, they usually look like they're actually close to being teenagers. Have you guys noticed that? Or, yeah, or are we getting Gabrielle older? Union That's like yeah. we playing a teen for twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. Keep an eye out for it. But in this movie, these actually look like they could be seniors in high school. Cool. So that's what I've been watching. But I, what about you, Meg? Uh, well, still going strong with Fraser. Oh, I got to tell you, it's just every day. I think I can't wait till I'm in bed watching Fraser. <laughs> and I know how depressing that yeah. sounds. <laughs> But it's the truth. I just want to do my crossword puzzle and watch Frasier in bed. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on like season three, you know, putting in two a night. Cool. Delightful time. We, Emily and I, are gearing up to do our America's Next Top Model Patreon series. Mm-hmm. You guys, I watched part of season one of America's Next Top Model. What a mess. Really? What <laughs> a mess i cannot believe they got away with the things they did really oh my gosh there one of the women was in a hospital she was so sick she had to go to the er and they said well if she's not here for judging we have no choice we have to send her home (laughs) (laughs) it's like tyra you monster What year is this? 2003. Oh, it's that old. You know, and that was like the dawn of the age of reality TV. And they had no idea what they were doing. Mm -hmm. It looks terrible. It sounds terrible. Hmm. But there's just enough there that you're like, I have to see the next episode. And I think that's what made it into the behemoth it became. Wow. I'm really, really excited to dig in and watch more. We're going to record our first episode this week and it'll be available Monday. Uh, and the, that's really it. And then, of course, mm. Sunday night, mm-hmm. I watched Oprah interview Meghan and Harry. Now, all of us have watched The Crown, therefore we are royal experts. Experts, yeah. Our episode on The Crown season four, Lindsay, that you recorded with us, is our most listened to episode ever. Really? Yeah, which was surprising to me. We got some crownies out there. We have some royal watchers (laughs) Mm -hmm. in our midst. (laughs) Okay. So, of course, we have to talk about this interview and how how much it Uh (laughs) over-delivered. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Lindsay, tell me your thoughts. The thoughts you had going into this interview, your thoughts during the interview, and your thoughts since. I... Like I said, I'm kind of in like a postpartum fog, but this was like the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just got to make it to Sunday. I just got to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot wait. And I and I had my expectations really low, and that's kind of how I live life. This was my expectations. Mm. And I just thought, I saw like a tweet, and this was kind of like my feelings. It was going to be like an Al Capone vault kind of thing, mm. where like, you know, it just totally underdelivered, And it, I could not have been more wrong. Hmm. My jaw was agape for two and a half hours. Hmm. I could not believe I had to rewind it like multiple times to hear line deliveries from Oba. Like I could not even deal with it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Eli. I think that this worked as well as it did because of Oprah. Oh, 
I because here, here's the thing, like Megan uh, Markle was actually kind of under delivering on a lot of her answers. She was very vague. Mm-hmm. And when the interview started and we were getting into like Oprah would ask her something, she'd be like, well, it was just hard. And sometimes it was hard. And <laughs> Oprah would be like, why was it hard? Because it was difficult. And I was like, oh, no, is this going to be like two hours of mm-hmm. not the Stormy actually... Daniels interview? Yes. Yeah. I really I thought it was going to be that. And I was like, is this just going to be two hours of that? And then you start getting Oprah. Were you silent? Or were you silenced, Ugh, raising eyebrows? Iconic. It, it was so good. And and it really like started getting her to open up in a different way. And then I think like once Harry came out and the three of them were all interacting, I thought that was the most fascinating part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But like there was not a second that I was bored during this. No, I watched commercials for this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't even mute them, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is also I I'm a little conflicted here because the content of the interview was heavy, yeah. dark stuff. Twitter was a freaking ball that night. <laughs> Twitter was on fire uh-huh. with the memes. Some of the best tweets I've ever seen were coming out of this interview. So it was really fun to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a national, a global conversation that was happening. And there's excitement in that. But at the same time, the things Megan was saying were terrifying Mm -hmm. and so sad were you were the both of you surprised by the revelation she made i i was i was surprised when she talked about suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. i was not expecting that i really thought it was going to be like well you know they kind of bullied me and they were cold to me and icy and the tabloids were terrible and it was stressful and we had to leave i really thought that that was going to be what it was And especially, I feel like lately we've been hearing a lot, a lot of podcasts in The Crown have been talking about Diana and her experience and her experience with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts and so forth. And it was so interesting coming off of like the last few months, I feel like I've kind of invested some energy into understanding Diana's history and then hearing Megan talk about a lot of the same types of things. I was like, this is a pattern with this family. And it's a pattern for somebody to marry into this family, have these experiences, and then even somebody who I think is probably a pretty strong person like Megan to like respond in this way. I, that really did surprise me. Lindsay, what about you? Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought that the Diana aspect of it was really horrible and sad. And it, and it helped me have more insight into, I guess, Harry's motivation for leaving because that I think he said that, that it just felt like history repeating itself. Mm. And so I was surprised by, yeah, the suicidal ideation and, and that sort of aspect. I thought it would have been more like when she told the story of the, the flower girl dresses with Kate, I thought it was going to be more like that. Um, I was surprised by the heaviness of it. And I don't think I was surprised by um, some of like the racial, um, uh, aspects of it but i was surprised at um how upfront she was and harry was about those Hmm. yes how upfront but also how unwilling they were to identify the person who had said it yeah so who was it and i think we can make some assumptions Mm -hmm. if i had to put money on an individual it would be on charles yep yeah um 
It's not the queen, obviously. It's not, they spoke no. so highly of the queen. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't. It, it would not make sense for it to be William or Kate. I think. I mean, I've heard some stuff about William that's not savory. Uh huh. So, I don't think things are great between Harry and William. But I think William is young enough that he knows better. Yeah. Charles, though, mm-hmm. is just a weenie. And re- and reading between the lines about you know what his uh, Harry's relationship is with Charles, like that was obviously kind of an icy question and response. Yes. And so, like, there's some there's something. He stopped taking my calls. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I don't know like that wh- when they talked about the racial comments, I think a lot of people immediately thought like, oh, well, then like Charles is process of elimination like if it's somebody in the family like it was probably him so i have a question about this because in the beginning of the interview when they are just talking about like Lindsay said the flower girl dresses and Mm -hmm. the tabloids which is bad enough you know Mm -hmm. even if the interview had just been that it would be like this is really tragic that this happened to you and that you've been treated this way but she says now people need to understand that there's a difference between the royal family and the people who run the institution. The firm. The firm, which I was not a term I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. So when she was saying this and the the racial, I guess, allegations that they are making is that someone said to them, well, what color, what is your baby going to look like mm-hmm. when it's born? What color will their skin be? It wasn't totally clear to me if that was someone within the family yeah. or this mysterious group of people that run the institution. Mm-hmm. Was that unclear for you two as well? Yeah. To me, it felt like that part was a family member who I'm guessing is Charles. And then some of the other stuff more about like her, her support, was like mental health um, and that sort of thing. I took that as being more from the family business, like yeah. the firm or whoever. But I took the, the questions about, their baby's skin to be a family member and that's why it, that particular aspect was so painful. Mm. The, the the crown actually addresses kind of that distinction between the family actions and the firm actions um, quite well. You see like in one of the, maybe it's season two or three when Margaret is going to the queen and trying to get uh, permission to marry mm-hmm. and the queen mm-hmm. is like, yeah, like I'm cool with this but then the firm kind of like steps in and is like no you can't be cool with this and you see that kind of tension build and I was thinking about that as they were talking about kind of that distinction where it's like okay I'm sure that they have their criticisms about the family but there might there might be a lot of instances here where like the family is also sort of trapped by this thing that they were all born into that they had no choice over right yeah and this thing is kind of controlling what they can do and what they can say and how much access they have to resources can somebody just go find a therapist and and get help or is the firm stepping in and saying no that's bad pr if this gets out you mm-hmm. know yada 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 and so you could tell as especially as they reference the queen so many times which i was actually very relieved that the queen right. didn't come out as an enemy. I really didn't want her to be the bad guy in this. Well, because we spent so much time with her. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm very invested <laughs> in her. And she's devoted her life to the crown. And uh, it, it was it was nice to hear them kind of talk about that. But I also just got this impression that they're like, she hasn't. She doesn't really have the ability to help us with the big problems that caused us to leave. Like, we love her. We had, a, you know, a, a nice time with her. She was very nice to us. But, like... 
she's the queen, but she couldn't help us. Yeah, and there's that moment. I mean, Oprah is just really good at lovingly holding their feet to their fire. And mm. she even says to Megan, who, who is this institution? Is it a group of people? And Megan says, no, it's one person. Mm. So again, I'm like, who is this person? And why? what are their motivations here? Because this felt like a PR gift to the royals yeah. to have a woman of color marry into the family, have a baby that is a mixed race, you know, and look inclusive and look welcoming. And they blundered it mm-hmm. so badly. And whose call was that? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is it straight up racism? Or do they not know how to adapt? I This interview really highlighted to me how American I am and my cowboy spirit because I cannot understand the monarchy and who it's serving because it doesn't seem to be serving England. It certainly doesn't seem to be serving the royal family. Mm -hmm. They all seem miserable. Yep. Who is this for? Who is it for? Well, and the, the that was another parallel with the Diana story. You know, Diana shows up and people love her and she was a gift. She was a PR gift. She was a gift for the royal family who was trying to stay relevant and struggling to make sure that they stayed, you know, in the good graces of the people. And Diana showed up and people loved her. And in that case, it was really the family that w- that was threatened by the fact that she was so beloved. And they botched that. You know, they didn't utilize Diana or continue to utilize her in the way that they could have. It sounds like this time something like that came along again. And it sounds like for the most part, it was not necessarily the family that botched it, but they like botched it once again. It's really strange that this happens two generations in a row. Like, did they learn nothing? I think that Harry said it at the end is that he said they're acting out of fear. And I think that was like very telling to me Hmm. is that all of these things they are not acting in confidence. They're not acting to, to like make gains. They're just retreating and retreating. And because they're acting in fear, they're making these, these horrible PR decisions. It's even beyond PR decisions. It's affecting actual people and actual family members. Hmm. But in the end, um, they, they end up looking all the worse for it. Hmm. Yeah. Fear, fear of what? What do we, I mean, if the monarchy... I fear of change, right? Yeah. Is it, are they financially trapped in this institution? I mean, I just, I have such a hard time understanding the motivation if I'm William for staying in this system mm-hmm. that seems miserable. Is it just because there's no way to make a living outside of this? Is it for fear of disappointing his family? Again, like I just I don't think I have the brain to process how the system works or why anyone thinks it's necessary. Mm. I don't either. I the whole time, like I, I, I thought the Harry portion was really interesting because I understand how Megan talks. Like I understand it. I guess because, like you said, like I felt very like American. Like I understood her point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not like a person frankly, with like a lot of like patriotism, even, especially, (laughs) you know, um, the last several years, but like, I, I felt very American and I could understand her points when Harry was talking, like it almost felt like he was like Pinocchio or something. He was like trying to sound like a real boy. And I was like trying Mm -hmm. to make heads or tails of it. And I, and I guess that if you're just raised in this way that you think you're never going to have to think about money or, um, I don't know, or a real job or whatever. I mean, I guess that 
you're so dependent on everybody else that maybe you don't even really have an identity. And so that's, I mean, I don't know that I thought his, the other thing that he said that was really interesting was that the, that the Royals depend on the tabloids and then the tabloids depend on the Royals. It's like this like circular Mm. Mm. sort of pattern. I thought that was really interesting. What I don't understand if that's the case that they're codependent. Why go after Megan so specifically? Because she she was more a target than I think any of the rest of them have been. Yeah, it, it sounded sure. it sounded like the the explanation that I think they were giving is the tabloids do depend on them, but the tabloids are kind to the royal family typically. Right, they're not writing like t- terrible gossip columns about the queen, but they right. are writing about the queen and they're writing about, you know, what everybody's up to. And the tabloids don't want to be iced out by the palace. They want to maintain a good relationship with them. So Megan comes along and they start testing the waters because they're like, well, this is a new person. She's not part of the old fold. Maybe we can be a little bit cat more catty to her. Mm-hmm. And the Royal family is too scared to call them out on that and tell them to stop. And so the tabloids are like, well, we can keep going. And they get worse and but why, worse. But why is the royal family so scared to call them out Because on the it? royal family doesn't want the tabloids to turn on them and start writing bad stuff about them. So both groups, the tabloids and the royal family, are trying to maintain one another's good graces because they can both tank one another. If the royal family gets mad at the tabloids, the royal family ices them out. If the, if the tabloids uh, get mad at the royal family, then the tabloids start writing bad stuff about the queen or you know charles or whoever mm-hmm. so and she was just the sacrificial lamb kind of and yeah. so like the tabloids start testing those waters and they start writing stuff about her and she was frustrated and harry was frustrated they said in the interview because they were going to the family and they're like somebody help like do something about this and the royal family didn't go to their aid and so it just gets worse and worse and worse and the tabloids are like i guess we're cool with this the royal family's not mad at us so we can keep doing this because they don't view her as part of their family and so like ultimately that's what causes the problem is such a strange thing i mean i i can your daughter-in-law is one thing right like i can understand how you're like is she really part of the family that's wrong i don't agree with it and Mm -hmm. it's especially terrible because she's a woman of color and that's just a bad look Mm -hmm. but then when they said that archie wouldn't have protection that's such a bridge too far to not give a Mm -hmm. tiny baby who's a royal who has no Protection. choice, was born into this with no choice. Yeah, I yeah. could not believe that. That is deplorable, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and I could not understand. I still can't figure out the motivation for that other than than just nastiness. And, like, I'm, I'm sure there's something I'm not getting. Maybe there is, but I, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't. Yeah. This th- watching this interview helped highlight for me in a way that I think the crown has done quite a bit, but more than ever before. I sometimes forget that these people who are born into this family are born really into like this this place of being trapped. Yeah. So like Harry's born into this, and he, it's not like he can just he could just be like, oh, I'm just not going to do this, and it's not a big deal. Not doing this anymore is a huge, huge, huge deal. And he basically has to move across the world and try and start a whole new life just because he doesn't want to be a part of the royal family. And it's like these people are born into this and then they're targets, whether they like it or not, for the rest of their lives, for tabloids, for, you know, whatever crazy people are out there. Yeah. And it really is kind of an odd thing to feel sympathy for somebody that we sort of on a surface level perceive being born in the 
absolute like most extreme example of privilege. But like I was watching this interview and I was like, oh, God, I'm so glad I was not born into the royal family. You know, it was really strange. I mean, you know, leading up to this, there's there were so many statements coming out. Like, who cares? Bethany Frankel, who cares? <laughs> you know, you were a princess. You had this million dollar, multi-million dollar wedding. You've had mm-hmm. every privilege everyone has ever wanted. That doesn't mean her pain's not valid. Yeah. I mean, that's a heart mm-hmm. problem. To feel suicidal and trapped in your house, that's real pain. And only, you know, not really any of your choices. Yeah. And the royals especially, it's like they they don't know anything besides this. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can understand why change feels threatening to them because they don't know what would be on mm-hmm. the other side mm-hmm. and if they would be okay. And they hate what they're doing and the system that they're in, but the unknown is terrifying. Yeah. I, I wouldn't trade my life with any of theirs. No. <laughs> not, not for a second. No. Absolutely not. There were some parts of of Megan, like when at the beginning when Oprah was asking her, "Well, didn't you do your research? Did you do any googling?" There were some parts that I was like a little eye rolly about, like I don't know, like I never like thought to like figure out the day to day, and I I found that surprising by somebody that seems so thoughtful. Um, and like someone who does their research, I found that surprising. Um, and so I can, that, that part was kind of interesting to me, but I thought Oprah just did an incredible job at any follow-up question I had. Oprah was there the second I had it yeah. to ask the tough questions. I could not believe it. I, uh, I rolled my eyes pretty hard at the little mermaid comparison. Yeah. That was, yeah, I, I did not like that. <laughs> that should have been edited out. The, that, that part though, Lindsay, uh, you know, talking about, well, I didn't really Google or research the Royal family. I, I agree with you. I, I have a hard time believing that she didn't do any research. Although I did kind of eyebrow raise. I was really interested in her explanation for why she wouldn't, which was something that I don't think I had ever contemplated. And she was like, well, like I was a celebrity before this mm-hmm. and I met oh, celebrities right. all the time. And she's like, to me, meeting the Royal family was just like another party where there were celebrities. And she's like, I don't, I'm not in the habit of like Googling and looking up celebrities that I'm meeting. Like you just meet them. And so, and I started thinking about it and I was like, Oh, Megan meeting the Royal family was not nearly as big of a deal as it would be if I met the Royal family. Like, you know, little. I don't Eli. know the Queen of England. I don't. It, that's like always the person. You know, like oh, yeah. you're gonna go meet the Queen. You know, it's, it feels like the highest honor a person can but, have. Like, don't you think that like Oprah would be less intimidated to meet the Queen than you? I mean, I know, yes. I know, Megan's not Oprah, but I just think like there, there yeah. are these like levels of sort of celebrity where if you were regularly meeting people like Oprah and Tom Hanks and, you know, Angelina Jolie, and you're like constantly going to these parties that when you meet the queen, it's not going to be nearly as big of a deal as Eli, who met Laura Linney a few years ago and still talks about it. it. (laughs) Every chance he gets. (laughs) Like this one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yes, I don't know if I totally believe that she didn't at least look him up on Facebook or you know I and how could mm-hmm. you not be curious to know how the royal family functions and what that means yeah I mean I, I buy the thing when she was talking about how she didn't know how to curtsy like, sure I buy sure, that sure, sure. Right. I would not even think about 
like, oh, I better figure out how I'm supposed to bow when I meet the queen at this like casual family party. And so like that kind of thing, you know, driving through the car and, and him saying, like, do you know how to curtsy when you meet grandma? Like that was really fascinating. And I buy it. Yeah. And that that's when I was like, oh, I'm too American for this. Yeah. <laughs> I could not do this. And there was that part in The Crown, too, where Diana has to learn how to curtsy and is humiliated. And, mm-hmm. uh, th- this interview just really showed me how good The Crown was. So is. good. Yeah. And how uh-huh. a- surprisingly accurate, you know, mm-hmm. which I-, I love that for The Crown. Um, Tyler Perry, surprise cameo. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler Perry. Medea goes to London. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot get over that. <laughs> Pretty wild that Tyler Perry gave them a refuge. That's really cool. It is cool. I do you know? Did you look this up? What what is their relationship exactly? Like, no, I'm a hypocrite. I'm like, how could you not Google? And then I yeah. didn't. <laughs> I did well, we're not, not look it we're up. not meeting Tyler <laughs> yeah, Perry. <laughs> Can you I, imagine? It seems like there's like this Montecito club, and I'm guessing maybe Tyler Perry is there. You know, hanging out in Montecito with Oprah and Gail. Oh my gosh! And Meghan and Harry. I want to go oh. hang out at Oprah's house. Okay, whose friend? They're like, this is our friend's yard. Who is it? Give I, me a name. Uh, I'm obsessed with Gail, that yard. It's not Gail. It's not Gail. We don't know. Beautiful. I know. Beautiful yard. Someone with a nice pergola. That's mm. all we know. Mm. Ugh, can you imagine those vine wrapped columns? I want to oh, live there so. I wanted. I just wanted to sit in that yard. Yeah. I look around. My kids' crap is everywhere. I'm like, just take me to this yard <laughs> uh-huh. with Oprah. Uh huh. What did you think about the chicken yard? I was like, <laughs> I was a little eye-rolling for me, too. Yeah. I'm like, we're just regular rich people hanging yeah. out in our, <laughs> our chicken coop. Carrying yeah. boots. I was like, okay. <laughs> Oprah's in a hoodie. We're so relaxed. <laughs> yeah, I could have done without all of that. Mm-hmm. The B-roll stuff I yeah. didn't need, and I feel like it was distracting from the meat of the interview. Um. I did really love Harry talking about Archie and riding the bike and Archie Mm -hmm. spreading his arms. And I think that as a parent, a lot of what we do is trying to make a better life for our kids. And that sometimes means taking pain on ourselves. Mm. And I think that is very much what Harry has done here Mm -hmm. is taken on some very real pain um, in creating these family rifts so that his son can be free from the system mm. he was born into. And that was my big takeaway from this, is that these two did a really hard thing so that their family can be better. Yeah. Definitely. And it seems like they're, now that they're on the other side of it, like, I mean, and I am a pretty cynical person, but I... Really, I really believe in their love. Oh yeah, I really believe. And like Megan and Harry, I was like, and I didn't expect to feel that way afterwards. I was like, oh, they're this, this is like a nice family. Yeah, like doing their best. And I was, I was happy to feel that kind of joy through this silly interview. They seemed genuinely grateful for one another. You know, she's she's grateful for him that he took her problems seriously and did something to help. And he's grateful to her. I really thought that was fascinating how he said in the interview, Oprah asked him if he would have ever left if it wasn't for Megan. And he was like, no, because it never would have occurred to me that that was something that I could do. You know, like it was her being there and becoming a part of his life that finally like gave him the courage to even figure out how to get out of this thing that was not making him happy. 
I just thought that they're uh, they they seem to view one another as people who came into their life to make them like better to help them like move on to whatever the next phase is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was interesting, like Harry could have married like a lot of people, obviously. And like, I, I don't know if you guys remember when he like was, he was always dating people and was in tabloids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of remember that and stuff, but it's interesting that like he ended up with someone that was willing to like show him this. And I, I just, I mean, because he didn't have to take that on either. He didn't have to end up with someone that didn't know the system, that didn't know, you know, mm. what it took to be a member of, like, royalty. And um, and then, so, I, yeah, I really came away with, like, a, a respect for them, which I had not as much anticipated, and a huge longing for Oprah in my life again, <laughs> which you talked about in your newsletter, Meg, and I, I loved. Yeah. I mean, that was... Especially as someone who, I mean, I will not fancy myself a journalist. I mean, I like to write about silly things, but I, I do work with words and I was amazed at Oprah's ability to like hone the English language and to focus and get these people to respond to really tough questions. Mm. I was just fascinated by that. She's good at what she does. She's the best. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because I realized how much of the bad press I had internalized about Meghan and Harry leading up to this interview for years now. Not that I ever was team queen or team Meghan. I don't, I didn't feel like I had any skin in the game. But I remember hearing that story that Harry and Meghan had gone to Netflix or Disney and Mm -hmm. wanted to do voiceovers and thinking that was gauche. And now I realize that's her profession. That's mm-hmm. what she did. She's an actor. Yeah. What? Else, how else was she supposed to make a living? Mm-hmm. But the way mm-hmm. that Megan had been presented to me over and over was like a fame-hungry monster mm. willing to do whatever it takes and step on people to get where she is. And I now I'm like, what? What? Who leaked that information yeah. that I read and didn't really think about and believed? Mm-hmm. And how can we do better? How can we... It's interesting that this came out shortly after the Britney documentary, mm-hmm. right? Like, how can mm-hmm. we treat women better? And how can we be use more scrutiny when we are examining coverage of women? And is there a movement to improve the way we talk about women who are in the spotlight? Mm. Or do we still have miles to go? Mm. And I think there's a way to do that while still, like, showing nuance, like, to sh- um, but I mean, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, Meg, I think, but like, that's part of the reason why I love housewives is because it shows the bad and the good. Mm-hmm. And I thought about this during the Britney documentary and during this of like, there's a way to, to show women's dimension and to tell the truth about them, the good and the bad, while also not, um, taking, taking it too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that that's a really delicate balance, but that's something I'd like to think about moving forward. Oh. I mean, I would love to know the internal life of Kate Middleton. You know, how does yeah. how does she feel? Mm-hmm. I feel like she was told you're allowed to be one way, and she's done that. Uh, and she, granted, she got much more favorable coverage, and I think the protection that Megan wanted, and so. For Megan, it wasn't so much a choice as a necessity for her own health and well-being to get out of that situation. But I wonder if Kate longs for that kind of freedom as well and longs to be able to be a fully formed 
human person with good days and bad days uh, and a media that's respectful of that. Hmm. Um, Who knows? Well said. I mean, it was the television event of the century. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) This century anyway. Yeah. The decade for sure. Uh, I'm really grateful that I could be here today and dissect it with the two of you. Yeah, this was a good time. I, made, I love it, it. Made me want the Crown season five like yesterday. Okay, no, I hope they kind of made me want Crown season five, six. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted it to keep going on in perpetuity. Yeah, right. So we can get these stories. <laughs> so I, I know what happened, but uh, I'll play Oprah. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much for being here with us. We will be back next week with our Academy Award nominations. (gasps) Already? The time has come. Uh, Until then, please remember to leave us a good rating and review. Subscribe to our newsletter, hivemind.substack.com. You can become a patron of HiveMind at patreon.com forward slash HiveMindHQ to get that America's Next Top Model series that I mentioned earlier. And right now we have a fun giveaway going on at HiveMind. We are doing a Dress Your Closet giveaway with our columnist, Shelby. She's getting us through this last little bit of quarantine Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we can dress through our depression. Mm -hmm. She has 25 prompts written out. Every time you tag us, you are it counts as an entry toward our giveaway, and the prize is a pair of West of West of Breakfast pajamas, which are really beautiful and lovely, and I own a pair, and I love them so much. I'll be very excited for you if you win. That is everything. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week. <laughs>